0: Welcome to the Two Journeys Podcast. This is part one of episode 37 in the book of John, entitled, The Arrest, where we discuss John chapter 18, verses 1 through 18. I'm Wes Treadway, and I'm here with Pastor Andy Davis. Andy, what are we going to see in these verses today?
1: Well, we're in a whole new section of John's Gospel. And uh, let me go back over, uh, I think, a helpful four-part outline that I have memorized uh, for John's Gospel. It'll be helpful to see how we're in a new section now. The overall purpose of John's Gospel is stated in John 20, 30, and 31, uh, in which John says, Jesus did many other miraculous signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book, but these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. So the goal of the Gospel of John is to persuade the reader that Jesus is God. Mm. And that believing that you will have eternal life, forgiveness of sins. So to that end, he writes everything he writes in the gospel. It's very purposeful. And it breaks into four sections. Section one is the prologue, uh, which is John 1, 1 through 18. In the beginning was the word, etc. cetera. Um, you know, and the, just the introductory section. And then from John 1, 19 through the end of chapter 12, we would have what we could call Jesus' public ministry. And that's Jesus ministering to a mixed group. There's a lot of believers and unbelievers. There's an interplay always between light and darkness, those that believe, those that reject. And that's made up of seven miraculous signs and seven extended teachings. Um, and those are interspersed. John mixes into the miracles and then there'll be some extended teaching. And then Jesus' private ministry from John 13 through 17. And that has to do with Jesus ministering to his own apostles once Judas is gone, although Judas begins that section there. He leaves and John says it's night. And so that breaks into some subsections. Jesus washes the disciples' feet, teaches them many things, and then prays for them. And now we're in the final section, and that is is the account of Jesus' crucifixion and resurrection. Mm. And it's very intentional how John writes it. He writes it to prove the deity of Christ. Whereas in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, we're gonna see much more of the humanity of Christ, Jesus sweating great drops of blood, the agony and all that. John doesn't deny that, but just doesn't make much of it. What we're gonna see here is Jesus behaving in a supernaturally sublime way while everyone around him falls apart. Hmm. Everyone around him, both his enemies and even his own apostles, fall apart. And so we're going to see Jesus, by contrast, displayed as a sublime, supernatural, figure, the incarnate God-man in the midst of these crazy circumstances of his arrest, his trials, his crucifixion, his death. So Mm. that's what we're going to see.
0: Well, so that we can have a sense of where we're at in the book of John, I'm going to read John chapter 18, verses 1 through 18 for us. When Jesus had spoken these words, he went out with his disciples across the brook Kidron, where there was a garden, which he and his disciples entered. Now Judas, who betrayed him, also knew the place So Jesus said to Peter, Put your sword into its sheath. Shall I not drink the cup that the Father has given me? So the band of soldiers and their captain and the officers of the Jews arrested Jesus and bound him. First, they led him to Annas, for he was the father-in-law of Caiaphas, who was high priest that year. It was Caiaphas who had advised the Jews that it would be expedient that one man should die for the people. Simon Peter followed Jesus, and so did another disciple. Peter also was with them, standing and warming himself." So Andy, how is this passage related to the previous, and where did Jesus go out from?
1: Right, so Jesus is with his disciples in the upper room, um, and that upper room is very important, obviously, in church history. That's where the disciples gathered after the ascension of Jesus, when he went up to heaven and they were waiting for the Holy Spirit to come. So I guess they had rented that room and they were there and that was the place of the Last Supper, the very famous, you know, that Last Supper. And so Jesus spent that time with them. But here's the key, at the end of that time, and we don't know exactly when it was, it could be, you know, it says when they had sung a hymn, they went out, Um, and so we don't really know when that happens. But, uh, you know, in John, I think John 16, he says, come, let us leave, something like that. well, I don't know, but uh, at any rate, uh, it's it's not entirely clear when he. Yeah, sorry, I mean at, at the end of chapter fourteen, he says, "Come now, let us leave." Mm. So you don't really know where they en route when he has this conversation, the vine and the branches. Don't really know, but at some point they transition to Gethsemane. Now, John does not call it Gethsemane, but the word Gethsemane means olive press. What John calls it is an olive grove. So it's got to be the same place. And he crosses at night, and it's a full moon because of the the lunar calendar that the Jews um, would have used. And he crosses the Kidron Valley with the Brook Kidron. And it's fascinating, too, because that was how the blood was channeled off from the sacrifices. And at that time, at the Passover, uh, you know, within that range of those years, Josephus, the Jewish historian tells us that a quarter of a million um, uh, lambs were sacrificed. So that just, the sheer quantity of people there, Mm -hmm. um, each one, one per household, uh, it's just, but that would have been literally, literally a river of blood that he's walking across. And you can well imagine him looking down in the blood as he crossed, Hmm. realizing that they were pictures of his own imminent death. Wow. Uh, all of them were were um, pictures of the Lamb of God who would take away the sins of the world. So he crosses over the Kidron Valley. It's also fascinating too because uh, King David went across the Kidron um, Brook, Kidron, the Kidron Valley when he was fleeing from his uh, rebellious son Absalom, who's trying to take the kingdom from him. So it's it's just an interesting kind of parallel between Jesus and David. Hmm. So he goes uh, across to Gethsemane, and the text says very plainly that he went there. Um, uh, and it says that Judas knew the place because Jesus often met there with his disciples. Hmm. And Judas goes right there. So what's fascinating is why in the world did Jesus go there? Well, he went there in some sense to make it easy for Judas to betray him. Now again, we're not thinking that he's trying in, in any sense to make it easy for Judas. Judas was a devil. He was a wicked, thoroughly wicked man. But um, he is orchestrating his own death. So what we're seeing again, every aspect of this whole account, through chapter 18 and 19, the crucifixion and resurrection, through the crucifixion, everything John selects, he selects to show the sub- su- supreme character of Jesus. And so what we see here is his courage, his willingness to go to Gethsemane and to lay down his life purposely. He intentionally goes there knowing that Judas will go there. And that's how the text is written, Judas also knew the place and went there.
0: And that's a hopeful insight that everything is intentional. Obviously, we believe that about Scripture, but mm-hmm. thinking about that, why do you think John doesn't mention Jesus' agony in the garden in the same way the other Gospels do?
1: I think John was well aware of what Matthew, Mark, and Luke had written. I think John is much later. And even if he's not, the Holy Spirit knows. And so he doesn't need to give another account of what Matthew and Luke gave. I don't think that Mark, but Mark does too, actually. All three of them give the agony in the garden. All three Mm -hmm. do, yes. But John doesn't need to do that. He's emphasizing deity. He's emphasizing, Mm -hmm. so you're not seeing the anguish or the agony. It, it doesn't, in John's gospel alone, doesn't seem any agony or anguish for him to obey his father. He just simply says to Peter, put your sword away. Shall I not drink the cup that father's... He's he absolutely determined to drink the cup. You don't see any of the anguish behind it. John wouldn't deny it, but he doesn't emphasize it. Mm-hmm.
0: Now, why do you think they brought so many men with weapons to arrest Jesus? Yeah.
1: It makes almost no sense. Um, first of all, they come with cor- torches, lanterns, and weapons. So they're coming expecting, in a full moon, to have to search for Jesus. Hmm. You know, he's going to be hiding in a cave or under a, under a an, shrub. Under a shrub. <laughs> yeah, the exactly. The, all of this is written to validate what Jesus said. Hmm. No one takes my life from me, but I lay it down freely of hmm. my own accord. I have the power to lay it down and the authority or the power to take it back up again, this command I received from my Father. So no one in one sense is killing Jesus. He's willingly dying. They don't understand that though. So he, they're coming with a huge number because Jesus is wildly popular. Hmm. And it is midnight. I mean, this, the whole thing is so slimy. They're trying to get the whole thing done at night while everyone's asleep. But they come for Jesus, trying to search for him, even though he's the light of the world. They're coming with torches, lanterns, and weapons, ready to fight, to conquer him, thinking that Jesus' disciples would fight for him. But he's—they're going to be very surprised what Jesus does. <laughs> they don't need to search. But we're looking at a detachment of soldiers, Roman soldiers, says Spira in the Greek, uh, that would have been as many as 600 soldiers. Oh my so It's a huge yeah. army that's come out to get him.
0: Wow. Yeah. yeah, it's helpful to to have that sense of just how many men because we're like, oh, like right. a dozen guys, <clears throat> like 20 guys. It's a really
1: <laughs> actually kind of funny because if Jesus himself is the threat, you know, he could do some different things. But then, you know, the story of about uh, of Elijah when the captain came with 50 men and said, man of God, come down. He said, if I'm a man of God, let fire come down from heaven and consume you in your 50 boof. Happens twice. Mm. Jesus is the son of God. He's God in the flesh. Yeah. He doesn't want to get arrested. He doesn't get arrested. Six hundred men won't make a difference. Not
0: <laughs> Doesn't matter if it's a dozen or six hundred. Yeah, Six
1: million would not matter. Mm. Yeah.
0: Now in verse four, John makes it clear that Jesus knew, as we've been saying, mm-hmm. all that would happen to him. Yes. What's the significance of Jesus going out to meet this huge <clears throat> detachment of soldiers, even though he knew all the suffering and agony that lay ahead? And what does that show us about Jesus steadfastness in this. Okay, initiative. and
1: I think it's the point that we've already made, it's the same reason he went to Gethsemane knowing Jesus uh, Judas would go there. Mm. And now he's just continuing in that same spirit. He is initiating this whole thing. Who's in charge? Who's running this thing? He is. Hmm. They're coming to arrest him. He comes out and meets them. He goes out as the good shepherd laying down his life for the sheep. He goes out to meet them and initiates and John makes it plain. He's not in any way surprised or trapped. This is the common humanistic theme about Jesus. Mm -hmm. Who was Jesus? Great Jewish teacher who got in over his head, meddled with things that were beyond his pure moral message. He got trapped in the politics of the day and tragically died. That is not the story here. Jesus knew exactly what was going to happen. Knowing all that was about to happen to him, he went out boldly. So, what we're seeing is omniscience and courage in Jesus. Yeah.
0: So Jesus asks the soldiers who they're seeking. Who right. are they looking for to come to arrest? After the soldiers tell Jesus who they're looking for, Jesus declares, "I am He." Mm-hmm. But in the Greek, it's just "I am." Just why? I am. Why is that significant? And what happened to the soldiers and Judas when Jesus spoke these words? <laughs>
1: We know it's significant. I mean, John crafted much of the gospel's skeletal structure on the great I am statements. Mm -hmm. You know, I am the good shepherd. I am the door for the sheep. I am the light of the world. I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. And then in John 8, before Abraham was born, Mm -hmm. I am. And that's exactly what we have here. We all know what this means. You know, Moses said to the angel of the Lord, who is the pre incarnate Christ, speaking to him in the flames of the burning bush, who shall i say that you are tell them i am who i am tell them that i am saying so this there's no doubt the statement i am is a, is deity so when he, they he goes out and asks the question who is it you're seeking and they say jesus of nazareth which by the way again is that humanistic name of jesus not jesus christ mm. christ is the title the anointed one the messiah no, just Jesus who comes from Nazareth, Jesus of Nazareth. He doesn't deny it. He is that man. He is truly human. He is that one, but he's more than that. And so he says, I am. Now they say I am he and all that because I think they're just trying, trying to write kind of English grammar that makes sense. <laughs> but this is definitely a simple assertion of deity. Mm. Who is it you're seeking? I am. Mm. It's even more important with what's about to happen.
0: Yeah. So when he says this, they fall to the ground, just again, showing the power of Jesus. And like you mentioned, if Jesus had wanted (laughs) to put an end to this, wanted to put a stop to it, there's nothing that could have stopped him. So Jesus is clearly identifying himself, but then also Mm -hmm. continuing toward the cross.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And so this is a vital moment here, and we need to understand this. The depths of what's going on here are incalculable. This happens a lot with John's gospel. Keep in mind... He interrupts the narrative to tell us a little detail before he says they drew back and fell to the ground. And they did it when he said, I am. So he makes that very clear. Mm-hmm. When he said, I am. All right, was that, was the, that was the reason why. But I wanna tell you something. Judas the traitor was standing there with them. Why does he say that? Because of what's about to happen. Mm-hmm. Judas is standing there with the soldiers who are there to arrest the son of God. But we already know that when he took the piece of bread from Jesus, Satan entered into him. Hmm. He was not demon-possessed, he was Satan-possessed. And here is Satan in the form of Judas manipulating the death of Jesus. And Jesus says, I am, and what happens? They all fall to the ground. Judas, as a human, falls to the ground, he's nothing. He's not in charge. He's not so proud of himself that he's been able to manipulate. No, no, no he's mm. nothing. He's on the ground. The 600 Roman soldiers, the ones that conquered the world and all that, they're on the ground. But even more significantly, Satan is on the ground mm. before him. Every knee will bow and every tongue will swear. And so they draw back. And I like how it says they drew back and fell to the ground. So they're afraid of him. It, there's this this sheer magnitude of his greatness." Now keep in mind, he's not fighting them with the sword coming from his mouth. We see that in the book of Revelation. Mm -hmm. If he says, be dead, they're dead. He just says his name and they fall to the ground. (laughs) (laughs) incredible. Yeah, the power is amazing. They draw Mm -hmm. back and fall to the ground.
0: Now in verse eight, after the soldiers give their reply, Jesus of Nazareth, what does Jesus command them to do and why is that significant?
1: Well, it's amazing. um, First of all, I remember listening to John MacArthur's sermons on this, and he has shaped the way I look at this narrative more than anything I've ever read. So, you know, really you just need to listen to his sermon, not this podcast, but keep (laughs) listening to the podcast. But at any rate, um, Some you know hairbrain liberal type people say what happened was that the guy in the front kind of fell backwards, stu- you know, tripped on a rock, and then they were standing too close together, like <laughs> like, like dominoes, dominoes. <laughs> or like the uh, ten pins, and they all fall over. What in the world? They're, you know, these were Roman soldiers; they knew yeah. how to stand in formation. Right, you know,
0: they don't just fall over if a guy like trips into them.
1: That's <laughs> <laughs> yeah, stupidity. But anyway, um, and but it seems like they get up off the ground and just simply repeat the question. Jesus says, or the answer to the question, who is it you're seeking? He asks them twice. Again, who's in charge here? He is. So why does he do it? Well, we'll see that in a moment. But he clearly wants them to state their orders. They are there for him. Hmm. They're there to arrest Jesus of Nazareth. And, And it seems like they are mindless machines Like, what just happened with the falling to the ground? Like, it never happened. Yeah. So, you know, at any rate. But he repeats the question, who is it you're seeking? And they say, Jesus of Nazareth.
0: What what does Jesus command them to do at the end there when he says, let these men go? What's significant about that moment?
1: Right. What he's doing here is he's really orchestrating this whole thing to the end that he would be able to create space for his disciples to escape. Hmm. He wants them to run away. Hmm. And we're like, well, why would he want that? Well... John makes it very, very plain why he wants them to run away, all right? So he orchestrates this whole thing, makes them say their orders twice. Who is it you're looking for? Jesus of Nazareth. Who is it you're looking for? Jesus of Nazareth. I am, I am. This is who, I'm who you're looking for. So if you're looking for me, then let these men go. Mm. That's his reason. The whole thing is to create an escape for his 11 um, disciples, his loved ones. And why is that? Well, John tells us why. Mm-hmm. He says, um, this happened so that the words he had spoken would be fulfilled. I have not lost one of those you gave me. Now the depths of this are, are deeper than we can plumb. Mm-hmm. He prays that in John 17. The words he had spoken were minutes old at this point. Wow. But it doesn't matter, it's like they're eternal. Mm-hmm. And we also know there's an eternal um, aspect of all of this. Um, He says, I've come down from heaven, John chapter 6, not to do my own will, but to do the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I shall lose none of all that he has given me, but raise them up at the last day.
0: Hmm.
1: So he's not going to lose anybody. Everybody that the Father gives him, all that the Father gives him, will come to him, and he's not going to lose any of them. And he prays that in John 17. That's in John 6. This is in John 17. He states, Father, I have not lost any of those you've given me, except the son of perdition, the one doomed to destruction, not counting him, but he didn't lose him. I've not lost any. So now he's got to make it happen.
0: Hmm.
1: Now, interestingly, in the prayer in John 17, he's speaking spiritually. I've not lost their souls. I've not lost them to apostasy. I've not lost them to unbelief. Hmm. But here he's speaking physically. All this happened so that the words he had spoken would be fulfilled. I have not lost any of those you have given me. Here he's talking about them being arrested and tried and executed. Yeah. In his mind, they're one and the same. There are physical trials we can go through that are so overwhelming and profound that they will cause us to lose our faith. Mm Now for me as a Calvinist, Reformed in my theology, I do not believe that, that that could ever happen, that I'll lose my faith. But not because I'm so great, or the thing is, is like this unit that never can be lost. It's a dynamic thing. And Jesus as our good shepherd shepherds us mm. so that no temptation overtakes us greater than we can bear. Doesn't it say that in scripture, that he will not tempt us beyond what we can bear. But with the temptation, what will he do? Make a way of escape the very thing that he's doing right here. Hmm. If they were arrested at that point, it seems based on this, that they would have lost their faith. Yeah. Peter's teetering on the edge anyway. Mm. He's already ready to deny Jesus. Right. John implies that he's included. If he had been arrested there, he wouldn't be ready. Hmm. But yet they all die martyrs' deaths. John died in old age, but basically lived, lived a martyr in exile. So fundamentally, they weren't ready yet later they would be ready. Hmm. As Jesus said, you do not understand now, but later you will understand. There's a transformation gonna come on them through the Holy Spirit. Yeah. And they will be ready to die. But at this point, they're not ready. So what does he do? He orchestrates his own arrest to the end that his disciples will not go through it, hmm. and he'll go through it alone. Amazing. Yeah. Also, it fulfills the words uh, spoken in the book of Isaiah, I have trodden the winepress alone. He, Jesus went out Alone and saved us. He wow. was our champion. You picture us in the walled fortress going out to meet the wicked army completely alone as heaven's champion. He goes out, the gate shuts behind him, he's alone, there's no one with him. Mm. And he works salvation. Yeah. You know, there was no one with him and he works it. So, but for our sake, what does this do for us? It means that he will every single day, for you, Wes, for me, he will filter and our temptations and orchestrate providentially orchestrate what comes our way so that nothing will be too great for us to bear. Well,
0: this has been part one of episode 37 in the book of John. We'd invite you to join us next time for part two of our conversation on John chapter 18, verses one through 18. Thank you for listening to the Two Journeys podcast, and may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you
1: all. Thank you for listening to this resource from twojourneys.org.